My name's Amber Lynn. I'm a cop's daughter, a cop's sister, and I've got a lot of friends in law enforcement. Welcome to the Bad Boys, Bad Boys podcast. Welcome to our first episode of Bad Boys, Bad Boys with my dad, Chris. Hi, dad. How's it going? Great. How are you? So good. Thanks for joining me on this because I know you're so excited. It is. It's exciting. <laughs> All right. So I want my dad to introduce himself a little bit here. I want him to tell, I want you to tell us how many years you've been on the police force, you know, different departments you work for, things that you've done along the line, the lines of duty. I've been a police officer for over 35 years now. I have worked with Utah Highway Patrol, Orem City Police Department, Summit County Sheriff's Department, and currently I work at Utah Valley University um, on a college campus. I have been there, done that, so to speak. I have been involved in as much as I possibly could over the years. Worked patrol, criminal investigations, narcotics. Um, was able to work on several different SWAT teams from Utah County, uh, Provo Orem, Summit and Wasatch County. During the Olympics, I was with the Orem Provo team and we had, uh, we had to take care of a venue down in Provo, plus other sites that we had to watch here in Utah County that were considered vulnerable spots. Worked with a lot of people and taught at the police academy for over 20 years and just still enjoy law enforcement. Been around a long time. Yeah, so do you say you have a pretty good passion for it then? <laughs> or a love for it? I, I would say that I kind of have stuck with it because it's always, it's a job that I wish more people would look at um, and, and turn into their careers because it, it is fun. It takes a special kind of a, a person that wants to serve the community, but also there's a lot of things that you see and learn in law enforcement. It helps a lot of people. Yeah. Well, that's good. We also know that there's several lives you've changed as being a police officer. I think you've told me about several people that you've arrested back in the day and they've turned their lives around because of you. <laughs> Not, I don't know that it was necessarily because of me. I think it was more because of the way I treated them. And they felt that somebody actually give a crap about them. And I've had people come back to me years later and say, are you so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah. And I kind of look at them out of the corner of my eye like, oh, crap, do I have a gun with me or something to protect <laughs> myself? And then they then they shake my hand and tell them, you probably don't remember me, but such and such happened. And, you know, you were the officer that arrested me. And the last thing you told me as you walked out of the, the jail that night was, you know, tomorrow the sun's going to come up again and it's going to be a new day on your life. And, you know, look at your past and compare to your, to your future. And people have have actually come back and said, you know, you, you helped me, and thank you. So it's, it's been good. It's a good career. That's a really big compliment, too. <clears throat> it truly is. Especially in this day and age where you've got a lot of, especially on the East Coast, where you have a lot of negativity surrounding police officers. So to hear this is really positive and uplifting to hear for everybody out there. There's Everybody's lives matter, right? <laughs> it truly does. You know, we, the police officers really don't look at the color of people. They they respond to each call individually. They don't. I mean, I've I've been colorblind my whole life. I don't I don't look at a, a person's skin color. I, you can't really judge people by that. That that that's just an unfair bias. But um, you know, it's it, it's hard in some areas, I guess, just the way people are brought up. I'm not, I'm not that way, and most of the officers I know are not that way. I mean, I work with several 
uh, officers that are have Hispanic culture. I've worked with with guys that are uh, you know colored guys, you know, and females the same thing. I I really don't have a bias against against anybody's skin color. What I'm biased against is people that break the law, and that's and that's what cops do. They kind of just you know, Lady Justice is blind for a reason, and she's our, our mother, in, you know, in law enforcement. So we have to kind of have a blind eye to the color of people, and it, 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 it's not a, a colored issue like so many places try and make it. Yeah, maybe in those areas possibly, <laughs> but we're here in Utah, and Utah has... We have a very big Hispanic population here. Oh, yeah. So I, I, for us here, I don't see any racism. I don't see it in the police officers around here. But yet, again, we are in a different culture. That's very true. So that's just that's the way it is. Yep. Well, I asked my dad to come on this podcast as my very first... Actually, it'll probably end up being two episodes here because he says the story's pretty long. I... I kind of want to give a little bit of a background here why I decided to do this, but um, I've always been interested in police stories because when I was a little girl, my dad and I, we would always watch Cops growing up. You all remember the TV show Cops. Don't tell me you don't remember the TV show Cops. And it's still on TV. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I guess I'm too old to realize that. <laughs> or I just never watch enough TV. But we've got, um, you had America's Most Wanted, which is one of my favorite shows. And so we'd sit down and we watch those. I feel like as a family for a long time, you know, and so it got me really interested in that. Now, to be a police officer, you know, there were a few years where my dad would just be like, you could be a police officer. I'm a little too much of a girly girl for that, but I fully support the men in blue or our blue family, and um, I am proud to be a part of it. And um, what else I love is I love hearing the stories. Along, you know, all these years growing up, my dad is not um, a cop with an ego. He is very humble. You meet him, he's very humble. He's very kind. And so when he would tell stories, he's just very relaxed. He's not very, he's, he doesn't have that ego, like I'm trying to build myself up here, which is what I love. And I loved hearing his stories, and some of his stories he'd be talking about, like no nonchalant, and my mom would be freaking out, like, you didn't tell me that, because <laughs> they're pretty big things, right, when my dad had a... Oh, yeah. Shot a neighbor. <laughs> Shot a neighbor. I mean, he's been through a lot of things. So, anyway, um, so I wanted him to tell this story. And when I asked him to come on, um, what he said to me was the word dismembered body. And I go, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I, I don't want you to tell me. I want to hear this story <laughs> on the podcast. So, I want him to tell the story. And we'll kind of go back and forth here if I've got any questions that some of my listeners may want to. I'll try to think like a listener here, guys. So, take it away, Dad. Well, this started. It was a just a normal day. We were we were actually in a training class, and uh, it was when I was with Summit County Sheriff's Department. I have to be careful. I can't use names and things, but I can I can at least use a location. Um, How long ago was this about? This was this was several years ago. Um, we want to go back. It was probably twelve or thirteen years ago, and it was springtime. Um, like I said, we were, we were sitting in a training class, the sheriff's department, we had, we had annual training. It would come around so everybody could make sure that they had at least their 40 hours of training, which we have to have every year. And one of our captains got called out of the training class because up just below the Wyoming border, just off of I-80, um, a railroad crew had come across a severed hand. And Ew. 
Yeah. How did they come across that? <laughs> well, they were they were working. They were working out on the railroad. And, oh, okay. And the railroad parallels um, I-80 going up uh, towards Evanston, Wyoming. And they had pulled off the road, and one of the guys in the truck, he saw something on the ground. He thought it was a, a, a bear claw. And so he says, hey, stop the truck. I want to see that. And he jumps out, and he grabs it, and he picks it up, and he brings it back in the truck with the, the guys. And he, they're looking at it, and he goes, yeah, it looks like a bear claw. It had been decomposing uh, for about close to about a year. Oh, okay. And uh, he, so there's no skin on it by that point, obviously. It was it was actually um, almost mummified. This the skin, oh. the blood had drawn out, and the skin had just mummified around the bones. So it looked it looked like a, a bear claw or something to that effect. But as he as he's looking at it, he rolled it over and could see that the fingernails had been painted. <gasps> and the guys. The, the guy, it's it, I mean, you're talking railroad workers. You're talking a, a bunch of huge guys that can pick up timbers and just toss them. I mean, these guys are not little wimpy guys, and they don't get, get knocked around too much. Anyway, it freaked them out, and they were like, get it out of the truck. You're, you know, you're, you're causing all <laughs> kinds of problems. Anyway, they, they kind of put it back on the ground, and, and they said, okay, now what do you got to do? And they're like, well, call the sheriff's department. Got to do something. So they called the sheriff's department. Our captain went up, and sure enough, he got there, and, and he also was a medical examiner, worked for the state medical examiner's office. He was not um, a man that was not very familiar with with bodies, body parts, dismembered things, and he was like, this is definitely a human hand. It's not a reproduction. This is exactly what we have. Wow. And at that point, um, it was kind of like they they didn't know really what to do. So being that it was dismembered, he called the rest of us out. I was, I was working criminal investigations at the time. And he called the rest of the, the, the guys in the, in the detectives division and a few others up to the scene where this um, hand had been located. And as we got there, everybody's kind of spreading out and, and talking and trying to get things um, taken care of. We had a, a gentleman that was, he worked part-time for the sheriff's department and he had a, uh, a uh, GPS system. <clears throat> and he could go and set things up and actually get exact locations if we found anything. So he set up... Like coordinates, you mean? Exactly. Okay. GPS coordinates of any body part or any, any other um, items that we found that were, were of interest for this case. So as we got there, we kind of, you know, kind of milled around for a little bit. And as we found out, we started talking... And we didn't know if we were going to find anything or not. But over the course of the next hour, we started locating several body parts. And it became completely obvious that something had happened to someone. Oh they gosh. had been obviously murdered, and then their body had been dismembered. And when I talk about parts, I'm talking about they would cut, they cut the hands off, they cut the, the um, just, just above the wrist. They cut the arm off just above the, the elbow joint. Um, and it was... It was I mean, very piecey? It was, it was pieces that were maybe between 8 and 12 inches in length. Gosh. And it was... It, seriously, it was like a putting back a, a human jigsaw. And like I said, our, our captain had worked for the... the uh, he'd been with the medical examiner's office, and he'd done a lot of search and rescues. He'd have done a lot of 
body recoveries. I mean, the man was very smart. Knows, he very much know, knew his stuff. And so we got the, the main location. Anyway, as we started finding body parts, it was obvious that, that this was kind of really strange. Now, to, to, to kind of give you an, an idea where we are, if, if you're looking towards Evanston, Wyoming, if you're looking towards the, the, uh, the east, I-80 would be on our right, and the railroad tracks would be to our left. And there is a frontage road, it's a dirt road, that goes up. And these body parts that we were finding were between the frontage road and the railroad tracks going more to the, I guess it would be north, northwest area of, of where the... the so away were. from the highway. Away from the okay. freeway. But it, it's accessible. I mean, you can, you can just take the exit, drive around, and it's, it's a place that you can get to. Anyway, over the course of the next few days... We got several people involved. We had search and rescue. We had the detectives division um, with the sheriff's office. Um, we had a group that has dogs. They're called cadaver dogs. They come up and they can find dead bodies and, and body parts. These dogs are amazing. What we had walked through once, we would walk through again with the dogs, and the dogs would alert on something. We would go over and be able to, again, wow. log the place that the body part was found, photograph it, GPS log it, and then we would take it, and our captain had a, uh, a large um, piece of, I guess, basically a big blue tarp. As we came, we, we would put the parts on the, the tarp, and he was putting things together. Like it was a puzzle. Like it was a huge human Oof. puzzle. And about, uh, as we're going through this, I stumbled onto a, I... At first, it was it kind of confused me because I really didn't know what it was, and it was the <clears throat> basically the bottom, somebody's bottom end, their their butt. Oh my gosh! And but they were still in shorts, like short shorts. Their legs had been severed just below their the hips, and Ew. in the I mean it was it was just it was like. It was like a mannequin that was showing a pair of Levi shorts. And we all That's know it's it never a mannequin. <laughs> and it was, I'm looking at that thinking, this is the weirdest thing. I'm, I, I can't believe I'm really looking at this. So I, you know, made a notation. I called out. Um, the guy with the GPS system came over. The captain came over. He took his pictures and said, this is, this is very, you know, this is, this is the main part of the torso. We need this. Oof. And he starts... After he's taken the photographs and stuff, he reaches in the back pocket, and lo and behold, there's a Utah driver's license. <gasps> Somebody and, missed that. <laughs> well, we hadn't. I mean, we hadn't searched. Well, not you bad, guys. I mean, guys. the guy who killed this yeah, person. <laughs> the, the bad guys didn't. You know, obviously they weren't looking for body part. I mean, looking for ID on anybody. Obviously. But this gave us a clue. Obviously, the captain. We tried to keep things. We didn't want names and stuff going on over the radio. Um, again, uh, now, right now we're on the back end of a homicide case, so we've got to we've got to gather all of our ed evidence and then move backwards to try and work this case out. So as we continue to find more and more parts, we find almost every part 
if this poor person had been dismembered. You're kidding. Do you think that was the help of the cadaver dogs? Um, I think I think it was a work of the search and rescue, the cadaver dogs, the detectives, everybody involved. I mean, it was, it was something. And I, it's funny because, you know, this was somebody's mom or dad, uncle, friend, cousin, somebody. This was, this was a human being. And this was a person. And you don't want that person not to get justice in this life. Right. Um, granted, my beliefs take them to the other side and, and you know they're far from what their what their body was but there's family members waiting to know what happened to this person yeah so as we check into things we get everything and we're just kind of we're, we're, we're coming to the end of uh, of you know our search and, and we've been up there several days and the captain comes back with information. They'd gone down and they'd run the name, and the name came up as a missing person out of Salt Lake. Now, <clears throat> this is going to sound extremely weird, but remember I told you about the hand and the painted fingernails? Yeah. Obviously, most people would think this is a female. The ID and when they got it, when they got all the body parts down to the state medical examiner's office we found out that we were dealing with a male. And the missing person that was missing out of Salt Lake County was that of a male. Oh, man. And as the story went on, it did come to find out that this was a guy that had, I don't know, transgender, transgender. tendencies. Mm -hmm. But he was still a male, obviously, and still had had family members. And it was, it was kind of hard because we ended up dealing with the family. And they were, they were wonderful people. So as we kind of got things gathered back in, as time went on, the, the first of the next week came around, and going back to the investigations office, um, we had a sergeant that was really meticulous, and he started putting everything together um, from all of our all of our photographs, all of the GPS coordinates, everything. By the time we were done, he had two full orange boxes of evidence, and I mean this this case, like I said. We are in our infancy on this case, but we're moving backwards. Right. So as we go, and, and each of us are assigned certain things, a couple of us were assigned to go down to Salt Lake and meet with the mother of this missing person. So you felt you guys felt confident enough after running the driver's license and seeing the missing report? After, after we had... Now, we never did find the, the head. Oh, but gosh. Again, the magic of, of modern science, they were able to take that initial hand, and because the skin was still on it, even though it was mummified, they were actually able to plump it out, get a fingerprint, and verify the name, the fingerprint. He had a, he had a, a, a very minor criminal record, but it was enough that he had his fingers, fingerprints on the file. And we were able to verify between the driver's license, the fingerprint, and the missing person report that we were pretty sure that this was who we had. Can I back up for just a second? How do they how do they plump the skin? This is the, they do this at the medical examiner's off, the office. Okay. They I don't know exactly the the exact way they do it. I don't know how they they have to moisten it somehow and I don't know if they just use air or what to to plump it up, but they they can get it to a point that they can they can roll the part, the fingertip part enough that they can actually get a, uh, a readable print off of it. Okay. So, and again, you know, this, this is a, a whole different 
science of police work is when you go into what what some of these um, people do in, in the CSI world. You know, it, it's different. And, and we're lucky because we have a great state medical examiner's office and they know how to do so much of this stuff. And because Utah has so many small agencies, we have to rely on, on our state medical examiners and our state um, crime lab to be able to help us with a lot of these things. And again, our captain being, you know, working with the state um, medical examiner's office, he kind of had a little bit of an in and, and was able to, you know, really get, get our case brought um, to the forefront of, of a lot of people down in Salt Lake. Jeez. Anyway, we started getting different assignments. And one of my assignments was to go with another detective, and we went, went down to Salt Lake to try and find the, uh, this man's mother. <clears throat> and she was elderly. She lived in a trailer um, out on the west side of Salt Lake. Really a nice lady. We got there, and she, it, it's one of those things, anytime you have to deliver a death message is not, not anything cool. It's, it, it's one of the hardest things you ever do in law enforcement is to tell somebody that their loved one has somehow been killed, whether it's a fatal car accident, you know, hunting accident, or, or, or anything. Anyway, trying to tell someone that their son or daughter has been involved in a cruel homicide is completely different because it, it really makes that poor person wonder what has happened and, and why their son or daughter was in that position and who would want to kill them. Anyway, we met with this poor lady and she broke down and it was really hard. And after a few minutes, she gained her composure and she says, I knew something bad. Um, had happened to her son. She says he always, always kept in contact. She says if 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 a day or two went by, she says I knew something was wrong. She says and when I had not heard him from him for several days, she said that the grand the mother had called this this man's daughter and said, "Have you seen or heard from your dad?" And she's like, "No, I'm I'm worried." So they made so they actually made a police report that uh, this man was missing, and this had been about between nine and ten months that the body had been that this man had been murdered, dismembered, and then just strewn off the side of the freeway Jeez. before we found his body. So it took it took a while, you know. This family wandered for for almost a year where their loved one was. In a way, it was kind of neat to be able to tell someone that they could put closure to their missing person. Right. But on the other hand, it was sad because of the way we had to, to put an end to it. Well, and then when you have to deliver the news about being in several pieces, that's got that to be horrendous. Was, <clears throat> that was really hard. I met the man's daughter, and she was wonderful. She was in her mid-20s. Uh, she was just she was smart. She was very intelligent. She gave us a lot of information. And she kind of went off on her on her dad a little bit. She says he's, you know, he he's weird. He does his weird things. She says, but he's never treated me bad and he's always been my dad. She says, even when he dresses up like a woman, and she she chuckled about it. Yeah. She says he was just it was just his weird thing. And, you know, some people have weird We all hobbies. have weird things, right? <laughs> And I guess this was his weird hobby. Yeah. But, but she says he never he never did anything to make her not want to love her dad. And she said he was always good to his mother. 
And she says, this is why this whole case was, was so hard for them because they were left completely uh, uh, oblivious to why anything, you know, why her dad was missing. So this was, this was hard for her. He wasn't, in, he wasn't involved in like drugs or things like that? No, but it comes to find out that the friends that he lived with and, and hung around with, they were. They were the ones that were involved in the drugs, and that's what took us to this next stage. Okay. And we, we now had an address where he had been living. We had all kinds of more information. We had a storage unit that he had rented. Um, I mean, it was, there were so many things that were now coming available to us because of being able to talk to the mother and to his daughter. And they, they were filling in a lot of blanks. And again, we have a giant puzzle. And we're getting little tiny pieces and trying to piece them in and, and make this case, you know, move forward and see, see if we can find something where we can actually get charges on some people. Right. Anyway, um, as we started to move forward, there was a lot of search warrants we had to write. And getting warrants on nine and ten month old information mm-hmm. is a little sketchy. Um, you know, you try to go to a judge and you try to explain things and, you know, the judges are fantastic. They, they're not going to affix their name to something unless they really can see that, that what you're doing is a lawful search. Right. And we were able to get some search warrants, um, down in Salt Lake County, we, you know, still third district court. We're still de- dealing with the same judicial system. Um, Summit County and Salt Lake County are in the same third district court area. So we were dealing with, with you know, judges who are pretty strict, but they were understanding and we were able to execute some of these warrants and we started finding more and more information. In fact, we found where our, I'm going to call him our friend, this poor guy that had been murdered. We found out where he had been murdered and actually dismembered. Oh. Um, it was in a home on the kind of central east side of Salt Lake City. Um, when we executed our warrant. Um, How did you know to go to that property? A, a lot of investigation was going on, and we were finding out names and informations and where he had lived, who he had rented from, who the people that he was hanging out with. And it was, it was just an amazing way of, of actually just doing your investigation, finding more and more and more. And come to find out that there was a there was a girl involved. Now we're talking. This man was in his fifties. Um, he was involved with a not involved with. He was friends with a gal that was in her probably late thirties, and he was trying to be more of a mentor to her because she was she was heavily involved in the in the methamphetamines. Um, oh, she was a meth user. So sad. And he was trying to get her out of it. And one of the things that that happened was. This poor girl not only being involved in, with methamphetamine, she couldn't pay for it. She didn't have a job. So the way she got her drugs was by, obviously, prostitution, selling herself. Jeez. And she was involved with the uh, with a motorcycle gang down in Salt Lake, Salt Lake City and Salt Lake County area. When you say involved, like she was friends with them, she hung out with them. No, they were using her. Oh, she they was were, their prostitute? They, yeah. <laughs> being being involved mean they were they were abusing the the daylights out oh, of this gal. That's so sad. Um, they were forcing her into pornography. They were forcing her into forced sex situations, and it was it, it, it was very ugly. Anyway, 
this the man that had been murdered had stepped up and told this girl you don't have to do this you don't have to do this change your life change your life even though he was odd in his own way he still had that fatherly attitude about him trying to help this gal get out of the the situation she was in with the drug trade and the you know being involved in pornography and the, and the kind of garbage that she was involved with so sad well what happened was a couple of these guys that were doing the videos and stuff actually came over to where this girl was was staying our victim was there with her and these guys from the this motorcycle group came over and things just got completely out of hand and were they tra- were they picking her they up were, they, they were they were trying to for, they were trying to okay. get her to go do what she had been doing being like I said she was involved in all kinds of the 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 sex trade business so it was like hey it's your pickup ride we're here pretty Got much it. and our our victim got involved and basically stuck his nose in where he shouldn't have stuck his nose Aww. at this point and these biker gang guys basically took him out and made an example out of him in front of <gasps> this woman and another guy who they had brought along with them oh my god and they they killed him how took, they shot him shot him in the head oh my gosh. now the reason we know this is because after finding out a lot of our witnesses we had two eyewitnesses um but again they were they were heavily involved with methamphetamine both of them yeah and we were able to find out what had happened and they said that they shot him and then they got a sawzall and just decided to cut his body up right there in the basement of this this home that we are actually doing a search warrant in are they trying trying to traumatize these two like exactly. just putting the fear of god in them they were they Jeez. were they were terrorizing these these two now to understand the mind of somebody who's on methamphetamine they are they're in a different world and it, and it's an unfortunate world but but somebody that is involved in in meth they see things and then it it, it amplifies it because of the drugs so to see a person that, that they know murdered and then they uh, put the gun to the other two people's heads and said this goes out you're next so oh they gosh. they know they know that they could be very easily murdered the same and, and, situation and happening to same me. thing yeah and again kind of you're in the dark corners of society and who cares who cares about these people oh. and this is where we're coming in saying you know we do care all law enforcement cares about somebody if, if you've been murdered you belong to somebody in this world and we want to find out who you belong to and try and make things right well as the as the continuation goes on the the guy that they were traumatizing they looked at him and said go to this guy's truck there's a duffel bag in the back of his truck go get it so he Leaves the basement of, the, of this home. They trusted out. him to do that. Well, they knew that he if he if he didn't, they knew who he knew. They knew who he was. Okay. They would get him. They would yeah, hunt they'll him chase down. him down. And the girl was still there, so they knew that they would kill her. And anyway, he complied. He ran right out to the truck, got in the back, got the duffel bag, brought it right back in, and they commenced cutting this guy up in pieces. They they severed. 
so many body parts off his, you know, the main torso and just cut him up. Gosh. And the home that they were in was an old home, like I said, on the central east side of Salt Lake. Um, the home was probably 140 years old. Not the occupied. cellar, uh, no, it was occupied. It was, okay. it was, it was a, quite a, uh, it was a larger home. They they used it and rented rooms out. Okay. Um, there was a lot of people in the house um, when we executed the warrant. There were just normal people. There was a couple of college students renting rooms there, and you know other people that just. That's all they were, just just a room to rent. Yeah. And, you know, they had a, a shower and a place that they could get cleaned up. And it's just a, just a, a small house where, where, you know, some people that don't have a lot of money just live. Anyway, the, the basement slash cellar to this house had a, uh, did not have a cement floor in it. It was, a, it was just a, a dirt floor. And so whatever mess that they made in there wasn't really much of a mess. They, it just kind of absorbed into the earth. One of the odd things was was that we actually found the sawzall blade in that room that had been used. Oh, they just cut him up and just tossed it to the side. I have no idea why they why they discarded the blade. I don't know if it broke off the the tool. I can't remember, but we actually found it in in some of the debris inside this this old shed or this old cellar. Wow. And. It was taken to the, the crime lab. The crime lab was able to get DNA, DNA off of it. And they said, yeah, this is the blade that at least cut up some of him. They don't know if it cut the whole thing, his whole body up. Right. Anyway, so these two people are now traumatized. They're watching their friend be dismembered by these <sighs> gang, these uh, motorcycle gang members. They cut his body up, throw it in a bag, and, you know, this, this man was quite tall. He was over six feet tall. And they just cut him up in little pieces and continued to stuff the bag full of his body. Oh. And when they were all done, they just told the other guy, they said, okay, take it out and put it in the back of the truck. Again, these people are traumatized. They, they just watched their friend get murdered. Yeah. So they're going to do whatever they're being told. They're users of methamphetamine. They, you know, common term is, you know, they're tweakers. Yeah. And these people are freaked out of their head. They are, they're scared to death. Anyway, they go out and they force this, this younger man. He's not a gang member. He's just, he's friends with the guy that was murdered and he's friends with this girl. And he just, again, wrong place, wrong time. So they force him to drive the truck up to Wyoming. Um, by now it's, it's becoming evening time. It's starting to get dark. And apparently these bikers going around, they know they know all the back roads, all the bars, all the places to go. Anyway, they start they start heading towards Wyoming. And just before they get to um, where they would cross state line, they, they exit, make the exit and go down on this frontage road. And the one guy gets out. This is a standard cab pickup truck, so there's three guys in the in this in this truck. One of them now gets in the back. He's in the bed of the truck where the where the duffel bag is. Two of the biker guys. Okay. So you got one biker guy in the front, the, the kid that's been traumatized, he's driving, and uh, the the other biker guy is now in the back seat, or in the back of the bed of the truck, and he's opening the, the bag out, <gasps> and he's just tossing body parts out off the side of the this road. Just while they're just driving? Just driving up this dirt road. And oh this is why gosh. we had a almost a full mile or more of a crime scene because as they're driving, oh. he's just tossing body parts out. 
you know, and depends on how hard he could throw, he would throw them out between, you know, five or ten feet off the road to 15, 20 feet off the side of this dirt road. Oh my and gosh. again, I'm talking between this frontage road and the railroad tracks, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe a couple of hundred yards at some point, and some some points it's shorter. There's a there's a creek there. There's I mean there's a lot of it's out in the wilds. It's out out in the middle of you know kind of nowhere. Anyway, they get almost all the body parts out, throw it out as they start to work their way into into Wyoming, and they says okay let's go to the bar and have a few drinks. Oh, so you know let's just go normal, relax after this nor, normal afternoon. Kill a guy, dismember him, you know, go get rid of the body, and then go have a few beers. Sounds like an episode of... CSI. Well, that, or what's that <laughs> biker show everybody watches? Um, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that's where they got some of the... Yeah, probably. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. The kid is scared to death, so he doesn't dare drink because they know he's going to... He's going to... He's going to have to drive. And he does not want to get pulled over, doesn't want to get a DUI, doesn't want to get anything. So they go to the bar. He just drinks at home. So we're going to stop here. Our bad guys are going to take a break, so we're going to take a break. We will see you guys next week with my dad on part two of the dismembered body. Thanks, guys. Have an awesome day.